I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode of Good Faith Weekly, we're going to be talking about the latest COVID issues that uh, people of faith are dealing with. We're also going to take a deeper dive into one of our columnist articles this past week during Holy Week by Nora Lozano, entitled Lenten Lectionary Easter 2020, Can Fear, Grief, and Joy Coexist Together? So looking forward to that deeper dive. And then later on in the pod, we'll be interviewing Pastors Scott Stearman and Tiffany Triplett Hinkle from Metro Baptist Church in Rauschenbusch Metro Ministries, who are doing some incredible work in the Big Apple during this pandemic. So I want to make certain you stay tuned for that interview. Autumn, as we tend to do in this podcast, we started off by asking, are you healthy? I'm healthy. Yeah. In fact, I just had a, a mobile nurse come and sit on my front porch because I wouldn't let her in the door. Um, <laughs> wow. Did she come all geared up? Let me ask you that. So before she got out of her car, she had a face mask on. And I told her, listen, we have been sequestered in our house for three and a half weeks now. Like, I promise we're safe. Plus, you're not coming into the house. So just sit on the front porch. We did a blood draw. Um, I did come inside for the more personal elements of the test. <laughs> <laughs> I would hope so. It's all of a sudden, you go over to Autumn's house, and all the neighbors are lined up down the street. Oh, I know. Um, yeah, <laughs> we're in Oklahoma, but we are in residential Oklahoma. Um, anyway, it was just for insurance purposes, so nothing to be alarmed uh, about. But yes, um, my blood pressure is beautiful, my pulse is perfect, so everything looks good. So you it, just even in the opening story, you posed already an interesting ethical dilemma that many of us are facing as some of us you know have to get out of the world you know there's people who are still going to work unfortunately they have a job where they just have to or some of us are going to the grocery store to, to grab a week or two weeks worth of groceries now come on let's be honest when somebody tells you they've been sequestered or in quarantine, you kind of give them the side eye do you are, do you do you believe them I mean are, is this turning us into a society they can't trust one another oh i don't trust anyone no (laughs) now there's this adorable little thing your son does that i've seen a video of so tell us about that oh my god strangers (laughs) come down the street when he's riding his bike or outside playing yeah both of our boys um they're seven and four and so they have a pretty tight leash we you know let them ride their bikes in our we have a really quiet neighborhood we would let them ride their bikes um, within like a certain parameter. And so we can still see them from the front porch of the house, but they're outside riding and our boys are very friendly and our neighborhood is very friendly. And so at the first of this pandemic, we talked to them um, and told them like, you have to stay at least six feet away from people. You know, if you see someone coming on one side of the street, you go to the other side and they weren't really taking us very seriously. Right, so, right. Uh, you know, as is developmentally appropriate, we showed them some footage out of Italy of the hospitals uh-huh. Um, sure. of the military trucks carrying coffins, as you do with young children. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now suddenly they're taking it real seriously, which we're thankful for. <laughs> but basically, Are they running into your bedroom at night, screaming? <laughs> <laughs> no, they've been traumatized by us before. Okay, okay, um, gotcha. Okay. But they see now a person in the neighborhood, uh, the four-year-old will raise his hand and say, alert, 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 which is alert. He doesn't have his L's. And then 11, who's seven, will say, Human, stay away from us. Human, stay away from us. 
Oh my gosh. When we get back in the studio, we're going to have to use those as drops uh, on the show. <laughs> Humans, stay away from us. Oh, word. Oh, word. One thing that's tricky, though, is, you know, we're getting all these kids ready for Easter, and <laughs> it's going to look a lot different this year. I mean, without all the theological element of it, you know, Easter eggs and Easter bunnies and kids, Easter outfits for church, all these holiday traditions that make a holiday, a holiday, um, yeah. aren't going to be there. So right. what are we going to do? Yeah. You know, Easter going to look a lot different this year uh, from, uh, I mean, the entire Holy Week. And, and of course we could, you know, this, this began almost uh, simultaneously as Lent began. And uh, especially now that we've arrived at Holy Week, it is going to be very, very different. Yeah. But as, uh, you know, we'll talk about later on in the interview with Scott Stearman, uh, it feels a little, or at least we assume it feels maybe a little like the first century, uh, where there is this this heaviness in the air. There is this uh, fear uh, that has permeated our culture. Uh, and, you know, first century uh, Palestinians uh, that lived during the days of Jesus uh, can prob- could probably really relate to where we are today. And the need for hope the need for a, a new beginning is just right there at everybody's beck and thought. And that's what we're needing. And so, you know, as we, we work our way through this, this very difficult week, and, and certainly it's appropriate to mourn uh, the loss of our traditions uh, this particular uh, year, uh, there are some new things that uh, can begin that can emerge uh, from the the tomb, so to speak. We've already talked to several uh, pastors and ministers in previous episodes about uh, how these new traditions may fit into uh, the future of their church. I remember when we talked to David Turner and uh, his associate uh, in Richmond, Virginia, uh, doing drive-in church. We asked them point blankly. Do you think, you know, one Sunday during lunch, you're going to do drive-in church when things get back normal? And they said, most likely we're going to, just to commemorate that time. So, you know, I think families are resilient. They're going to find new traditions, kind of try to tie those old traditions into some new traditions as this week unfolds. And it's going to be interesting. Uh, I, I mean, you know as well as I do, people are creative. They're going to come up with some amazing things. Yeah. What do you plan for your kiddos? Well, I've been stockpiling Easter candy. Some people were stockpiling toilet paper, not me. I knew Easter candy was going to be at a premium. So we have bags as I sit here in my closet. You know, if you see a a Target sack, probably it's filled with Easter candy. So we're going to have a little Easter egg hunt here. Um, I'm planning some kind of creative Easter Sunday morning pictures. So you'll have to stay tuned for those. Oh, can't wait. (laughs) Um, You know, our kids are going to participate in the the Sunday service, uh, we're going to be reading the Lord's Prayer for communion. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are ways that we're still going to be interacting with our faith family so that it'll feel like Easter Sunday. Um, mm-hmm. And one of our holiday traditions that we are still going to be able to have is we always make a Greek feast for Easter lunch. And so we're going to be able to do oh, that. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. Be really nice. Uh, well, we haven't talked a lot about what we're going to do as far as celebrating Easter anew here at the Randall House. I would imagine that knowing my family, uh, Jesus didn't, you know, Missy, my wife, uh, is convinced that Jesus uh, 
would have, you know, probably risen about mid-morning uh, if he had met her. Uh, she often, she arose. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, because she's more of a, you know, she's more of a brunch uh, kind of uh, lady. Uh-huh. And, Not uh, a sunrise service in this business. No, 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 no. You know, I think I did sunrise services for over a decade at North Haven Church where I was pastor here in Norman. And um, I think she made a total of zero uh, when it came to sunrise services. Uh-huh. But she loves Easter. And I mean, really loves Easter. She she celebrates uh, with everybody else. So we haven't really talked about some of the new uh, traditions that maybe we can begin uh, during this uh, coronavirus uh, pandemic. What's going to be very special for us, though, is that we, to be honest with you, did not anticipate having any of our family home. It was just going to be Missy and I, uh, because both of our boys uh, are in college. They would have uh, spent Easter weekend at college. And uh, having the entire family together is going to be very special for us. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see. In this week's Deeper Dive, we want to take a look at Nora Lozano's article that posted at ethicsdaily.com April the 8th, 2020 of this week. That was entitled Easter 2020, Can Fear, Grief, Joy Coexist Together? And that is such a fascinating question during this Holy Week that also really echoes the entire uh, themes that we find in Holy Week. Fear, grief, and joy all culminate to make this a very special week for Christians around the world. Autumn, what do you think about this? I mean, as, especially as it uh, relates to our current existence, can all of these emotions uh, be felt by all of us in the midst of one week? Um, I think I feel all those emotions in the midst of about five minutes these days. True, true, true. I mean, I can literally be scrolling through my Twitter and see, you know, something humorous, and then in the mm-hmm. next see, um, you know, a friend today posted that she had her first like loss of a, someone that she knew directly due to COVID. And so right. I think it's sort of the human nature to experience all of those things at once. Um, I'm going to just play my little Southern lady card real quick and say it always yeah, sure. of that part in uh, still Magnolias after spoiler alert. If you haven't seen the movie, it's like 30 years old. So I'm going to spoiler <laughs> alert positive. You haven't seen it, but after Shelby dies, um, and they're oh, all Shelby like, dies. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> and, one of the one of the women says, you know, laughter through tears is my favorite express my favorite emotion. Mm. And it is. It's those two like depths of feeling um that are so rich. And I think it's I think it's real. Um I think we're all mourning the fact that we're not gonna see grandparents, we're not gonna see extended family, we're not gonna get to see all the kids in their little Easter outfits matching. Um, our older, our older women in church who wear their cute Easter hats and just that feeling of the church being so full and getting to see new faces and inviting those new faces to come back. Um, so yeah, there's, there's some mourning going on for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And as you, you know, you parallel what's going on in the world today with just the the simple narrative of Easter week as Nora has done in her article. You think about the triumphant entry of Palm Sunday and uh, the celebration, but also the fear that begins to emerge after the triumphant entry, uh, because Jesus has made this very uh, political, public proclamation uh, regarding 
his stance in the world and his position in the world as uh, as his faith tradition saw it and as the political system saw it. And they took that as an affront uh, to the religious and political communities of the day. So fear began to sit in. I mean, fear already persisted, but it began to be heightened after the triumphant entry uh, on Palm Sunday because it was it was for certain that Jesus was about to be confronted by uh, the establishment of the day. And then, of course, he was arrested on Thursday, uh, taken into custody. Uh, I, I use the word tried uh, in air quotes because uh, he really wasn't tried and convicted of, of treason as far as the Romans were concerned. And then that uh, that fateful day on Friday as he was crucified at Golgotha. In Nora's article, she talks about the emotions through the eyes of the women, and in particular, the emotions of one Mary Magdalene, who was certainly a disciple of Jesus and a follower of Jesus. And uh, we, we see her present during that Holy Week, and most certainly in the crowd that uh, welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem and the fear building as uh, pressure began to mount. And then, of course, there on uh, Good Friday, her presence, seeing Jesus crucified to a cross. And her and the women alone are the ones that are standing there. John puts himself at the cross. But watching Jesus, their rabbi, uh, their, their mentor, their friend, die upon that cross, taking his last breath and then buried into a borrowed tomb. This the unimaginable grief that overcame them. But this Sunday morning comes along, and it is Jesus, the risen Christ, who makes a very conscious decision to welcome his presence and to reveal his resurrection to that of Mary alone. And she's the first one to see Jesus out of the tomb. And it's this beautiful, joyful moment. And she wants to celebrate and cling to him. And he says, woman, don't cling to me. Uh, and it's a, just a very special moment because the joy was so exuberant and overwhelming for someone who had experienced such fear and grief of Holy Week. Mm -hmm. And I see that hopefully echoing in our reality today that so many people around the world, so many communities are suffering, are first of all fearful of this terrible, terrible disease that is inflicting uh, much of the world, and then mourning as they bury their loved ones. In many cases, they, they're not even there to bury their loved ones. Uh, strangers are having to do that for them because of fear of the illness. But there is hope in the midst of this fear, and that hope is what we cling to. That hope is the anticipated potential of a new day dawning. And as you and I have talked about before, Autumn, we're never going to be the same. No. This is a transformative moment within the entire global community. 9-11 mm -hmm. was certainly like that for the United States and much of the world as they saw the Twin Towers uh, terrifyingly come down. But this has been at the doorstep of every person around the world that has been affected by this. And it is going to be transformed globally. And it has been inspirational to see communities come together at night to thank uh, all of the healthcare workers and first responders. It's been a beautiful thing to hear the voices of uh, Italians and other cultures come out and sing 
uh, in unity in the relationships that have uh, blossomed uh, on porch steps and uh, on balconies across the world. There is a new day awning. There is a resurrection afoot, and that day is going to be a beautiful day uh, when it comes. We're not there yet, no. but we're getting there. And it is going to come, and I hope this is a transformative moment for all of us around the world to hope for a better day, a better tomorrow, that we can be better as a, a society and as a culture, uh, and that good faith prevails as good people do good work. Are you looking for a new way to grow your faith? Nurturing Faith is offering five of their best-selling devotionals for only $12 for Good Faith weekly listeners. Go to nurturingfaith.net to find hope from Carol Bozeman Taylor, John R. Roebuck, Blake McKinney, Michael L. Ruffin, and Merrill J. Davies. The books are all available in the bookstore section of the Nurturing Faith website. And now, back to Mitch and Autumn. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly, and this week we are very honored to have the pastor of Metro Baptist Church, Scott Stearman, and uh, Pastor Tiffany Triplett-Hinkle, who is also the executive director of Rauschenbusch Metro Ministries in New York City. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks. We're glad to be here. First and foremost, how are you both doing? Now, Scott, I know you're not in New York right now, but you have been. And Tiffany, you are right in the heart of uh, the Big Apple. So how are you all doing? Tiffany, go ahead. Yeah, we're, um, we're doing okay. Um, it is certainly a challenging time. I think those are probably the biggest words of understatement that um, can be shared right now. But we're doing okay. And we know we're we're really in a fortunate place um, compared to um, thousands of people in the city that are really struggling right now. But um, we're doing what we can as a church and as a nonprofit organization to continue to support our community. And then just on personal levels, like we're doing what everybody's kind of doing these days. I happen to be parents to two young kids who are remote learning. Um, and navigating a whole new journey where that's concerned and, and trying to tend to their emotional and mental needs at the same time. And so it's, you know, it's, it's new territory for sure. And I'm fumbling through it. Um, like probably a lot of people are, but we're trying to do our best. I think we're all fumbling through it at this time. I was an empty nester for all but three months until both of my boys came back from the East coast. So uh, I totally understand what you're saying. God, how are you doing? Good, physically. Thank you. Uh, yes, doing really well. I So, uh, as I was saying earlier to you before the broadcast, Mitch, we had a staff person that tested positive, somebody that I had some contact with, and so uh, I was bringing my spouse down to a house in Mississippi that we have and learned on the way that she had tested positive, and so we had to be in quarantine. I had some symptoms for a while that were clearly the symptoms you hear about, but they were not um, terribly, terribly alarming. So I'm in the place with a lot of people in the United States today that feel like they've had symptoms but have no idea if they had the disease or not. So, but uh, the good news at this moment, I feel great heading back to New York tonight. Yeah, good. Now, Scott, you were in New York City when uh, it started to really ramp up and um, and started to kind of shut everything down. I know that uh, you've closely or you work closely with United Nations. Uh, in New York City. 
And tell us a little bit about what happened because the UN shut down and there was a big event taking place. Right. So the, the, the committee for the status of women or commission for the status of women and have many committees related to that, but that, that is a, something's happened for decades and decades uh, at the United Nations in March. And so the Baptist World Alliance had, um, well, originally had 20 women who were on mission from various international places uh, around the globe to come participate in this meeting. Um, as they have done for a number of years. Uh, ended up 15 of them came at the same time that everything was being shut down. All meetings shut down, uh, even some adjacent buildings to the United Nations Plaza and complex were shut down. So they had absolutely nothing to do for their time here, but they had their flights paid for and their uh, accommodations paid for. So, so we tried to give them a few things to do, uh, to learn about, and uh, it was great interacting with them. It always is. We had folks literally from around the globe, and to hear their stories, it was very inspiring, but it, just one of those stories about what's going on in this chaotic period. Yeah, absolutely. And Tiffany, you've been in New York City uh, from the onset. Uh, just tell the audience a little bit about what, how, how's the city doing? How's everybody coping with this, being sheltered in place? Uh, you told us a little bit about uh, your story, but as this, the city as a whole, what's, what's kind of uh, the, the vibe there? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's, uh, it's certainly a somber place right now. Um, you know, the death toll just in the last uh, 24 hours went over the death toll that was um, the 9-11 death toll, which is kind of a pretty big symbol for the city. And I think there's a real sense of, of loss on a regular basis, you know, and just a lot of the images, the, uh, the naval ship Comfort coming in and seeing that come in and um, mm. watching images of the Javits Center being switched over to be this 4,000 bed hospital it's it's really heavy and and a lot of the things about the city that have always brought so much uh levity and joy um at least in its physical form have all had to shut down so broadway and restaurants and you know lots of the the entertainment so uh it's a real challenge but i would say that new yorkers are new yorkers through everything and there's also this really beautiful spirit of people who um, are figuring out creative ways to come together and to support one another and break through these um, physical, you know, we have to keep the physical barriers, but somehow break through that on a, a more emotional level to find ways to, to connect to, to one another. Um, I think one of the really cool experiences right now, and you probably have heard about this nationally, is every night at seven o'clock, uh, people open their windows or go out on their balconies and they uh, scream shouts of support and love to our essential workers and it's especially for our healthcare workers and their pots and pans are banging. And it's just this um, moment where I feel like, uh, you know, if, if other apartments are like ours, the, the other 23 hours of the day where we're scared and we're nervous and we're trying to figure out how to manage this, that, the, that five minutes at the seven o'clock hour is pretty exciting and pretty um, encouraging. So it's been a beautiful thing to see, no doubt. 
Absolutely. And so, uh, Tiffany, can you talk to us a little bit about your work? Um, you know, so many of us are working remotely, um, but with your type of nonprofit, that's hard to do. So how are you handling that? Absolutely. Well, the truth is we're not uh, completely remote. We're, we're deemed an essential service here um, in, in the city. Um, so when everything kind of went to no non-essential, we kept going. Um, uh, as Scott's already mentioned, we have had staff members who um, caught the virus pretty early. And of course, we were very anxious about that. And, and we had to quarantine most of the staff um, immediately. But um, there were a couple of us that were able to keep going and we opened the doors at least a few hours every day in order to make sure people that had come to depend on us for food and toiletries. And even in those early days, it was still pretty cold here. We even had snow um, uh, just a few days after all of the, the services were shut down. And so we were giving out emergency clothing. Um, we continue to give out emergency food. Uh, we have a weekly food pantry that we have yet to shut down and do not plan to shut down as long as we can keep getting food and support for that. Um, this past Saturday, we had 110 people show up for that. And I, I have had to quarantine more recently, so I was not there for that. But our, our amazing staff who um, were out for their two plus weeks of quarantine have now, as I said, they've come out with their superhero capes on, I feel like, and have said, let's do what we, we can do. Tiffany, has that been a difficult, uh, I guess, difficult logistically? Uh, well, first of all, have you been, you no problems getting food in and things like that? I know. Um, yeah, a little here. bit. We've had a little bit of problems, but mm -hmm. thankfully, again, um, our food, our emergency food system and our food justice programs in New York City are a wonderfully organized community of folks. And um, so everything from like rescued food. So, for example, when all of the restaurants shut down very quickly, um, there were organizations like City Harvest and Food Bank of New York City that are already in place to take that food that's going to go to waste because the restaurants had to shut down and find a new home for it. And then they find those new homes with folks like RMM and Metro, where we're awesome. gonna be giving out food in just a few days. So they're like, can we get you all this produce that's gonna go bad or these eggs and milk? And we're like, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So we took all that, our entire basement, the first week when the restaurant shut down, just full of food. And we tried to get rid of, um, or get that to as many people in need um, mm -hmm. in the days ahead. Now, as the, in the previous, like, so just this week, we're feeling a little bit more of the concern about where we're going to get the food because, um, we're not getting as much, uh, rescued food obviously anymore. So now it really comes down to grant monies, um, and folks who want to donate to us so that we can purchase the food. And then it, and then we're relying on the food organizations that can get us the food that's ordered so there's there's a few pieces in that that all have to come together obviously but but so far we've been able to do it so scott if uh, any of our listeners wanted to uh, donate uh, to rmm and just to help uh, supply food and supplies to those that you're still ministering to under this pandemic how would they do so well, the easiest way is to go to our website. Uh, the RMM website has a direct way to donate uh, to to our food justice program. And, and the so, website address is? I'm sorry? The website address is? Yes, rmm at rmmnyc 
dot org. Very good. Very good. So, so that's easy uh, enough, and you'll yeah, yeah easily navigate some way uh, to give. Excellent. So Scott, uh, I mean, we've been talking to several pastors uh, over the last few weeks uh, since the pandemic has begun, um, and talking about creative ways to minister to their congregation. How's this changed congregational life for you over the last couple of weeks? <laughs> yeah, quite radically, uh, as it has for so, so many. Uh, mm -hmm. Let me start with a little story that relates to something Tiffany was just saying. Um, so the, the day before I left with my spouse to come to Mississippi, New York, I was at the church pretty much alone because our staff was fundamentally quarantined. And, uh, and Tiffany was out at that moment, and somebody came from Pret-a-Manger uh, to from the local one that said, we have all this food and we're closing tomorrow. Can you take it? And so I said, absolutely. We'll take it, put it in the fridge. And so they, they came back and, and the manager wanted a picture with me, I guess for social media or something. And she leaned in and hugged me. And I think that's the last hug I've had. Uh, <laughs> well, Besides Cecilia, Cecilia still hugs me occasionally, but uh, but anyway, I think yeah, it was just like, oh, I don't think we're supposed to be doing this. Okay, but, Scott, I just have to say that you are most definitely a transplanted Oklahoman because none of us could have said pret a manger quite like that. We just said like pret a manger. <laughs> I've lived in New York. I've heard this happen with my local friends. So <laughs> yeah, well, I did spend a little time in France, so I there's that. Ooh la la. <laughs> Ooh la. But yeah, I, you know, the congregation life, of course, has been completely transformed for us. Uh, I will say, uh, just as an example, though, of, of the positive side of things, we, we uh, for, for years, I've been using Zoom, this platform uh, for UN meetings. And so we decided when we could not meet physically, we would use that platform. And it has been a really, really right move for us. It allows for a sort of interaction um, that, that is true to us as a congregation. Uh, and of course, it may be harder in really large congregations, but in our case, it's worked very well. Allowed us to see each other's faces, uh, to see, um, you know, see our sad and joy, sadness and joy through all this time, and to interact in a variety of ways. So we, we've had services on Sundays, and we devotionals uh, midday through the week, and then some Wednesday night Bible studies, which we don't typically have every Wednesday, physically speaking. So we've had even in some sense greater connectivity, greater community through this period in one way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I began a few weeks ago uh, dreading, in a sense, what Easter was going to look like. Uh, but now I'm actually have come to the point where I'm pretty excited about it because I feel like in one sense, it's, it's more like Easter really was 2000 years ago, all hiding away in our homes, scared and bewildered. Um, and I think there's a little bit of authenticity to this experience that if we lean into it, uh, you know, we can have a, a truly a Easter moment of both authenticity and celebration. Well said, very well said. So obviously this has been one of those life changing moments, uh, around the world for many people. Um, we're still not out of it. Long way to go to say the least. But there is going to be a day where the sun comes up and we're able to go outside and get that hug that Scott so desperately needs. Uh, what's the future look like for Metro Baptist Church and Roush and Bush Metro Ministries? What's, what's going to change, even in New York City? What do you think the future looks like in your neck of the woods? 
Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think to start with some positive things, um, you know, I think that uh, the city where it relates to emergency services has had to figure out some things very quickly and cut through some red tape um, that has sort of kept um, us being able to provide even more support to people. So ways of getting people food in more efficient ways and uh, ways of connecting people. So for example, we are using, we, we quickly mobilized and are able to use a, um, an app called Plentiful that allows people um, to make appointments to come and pick up bags of food if they don't wanna be in a real a large crowd of people on a Saturday. Um, and uh, a lot of uh, organizations have just mobilized to, to, to ensure that people, that things are getting used and that people that need, suddenly, pe suddenly, you know, weeks ago, nobody could imagine delivering food to all these people to their actual doorstep and somehow we figured it out. And right. it, all it took was just this necessity of people saying, forget what we thought we had to do before. And so I'm very interested to see if we're able to be able to hold on to that sense of, of, you know, letting go of the things that we think can't be done in order to really support people and build community. So I hope that's where we end up after this and that we can break through some of the things that have kept us being able to do that um, before. I, I worry, as I think probably everybody is going to worry, because New York is not unique, I think, in this case, but <laughs> how we relearn to uh, relate to one another face-to-face. -face. Um, you know, I, I look at my kids right now who are dealing with being away from their friends and their social groups, and, and this is the stage where they learn how to socialize. So I wonder, okay, what is this going to mean for them? How are they, how are they going to, are they going to be stunted or, or will they have learned something new and different that, um, that, you know, they wouldn't have learned if they didn't have this experience. So I think there's a lot of unknowns and hopefully those are more opportunities than, than detriments to us. Well, well said, Scott. I, I think we join uh, probably every other church in the nation and maybe the world uh, concerned about finances. What does it mean uh, mm -hmm. when you don't have an offering plate? Uh, and in our case, we have not only that concern, but our own model um, uh, of, of, of financial support for our two organizations from the church and the nonprofit has been uh, leasing some of our space, leasing it to arts organizations, for, for example, leasing it to nonprofits. And we also have a Head Start in part of our property. Mm. So all of that has been affected by this shutdown. So, you know, yeah, we're, we join the rest of the world when we're worried about money. And, and, and so many of our, all of our Broadway people are out of work. Um, and, you know, and, and all our musicians, obviously. So it's a concerning time. Yeah, very concerning. But I want you to both hear that uh, as we look to New York City, even halfway across the country, we are, our hearts are broken with the misery and the despair we see after 138,000 cases reported, over 5,000 deaths. But I also want you to know that we're very inspired by what we see, uh, the city coming together. Indeed, it is the world's city and America's city, and we are grateful for all that you're doing and you're part of New York City. We appreciate both your ministries and, and what you're doing. 
for the larger Christian community. Each and every episode, we conclude with a question, and Autumn poses that question to our guests. So, Autumn, take it away. Yeah, so Good Faith Media, our motto is, there's more to tell. And we like to ask our guests to let us know what your more to tell is. Well, I think I would start with um, the obvious is that this is a really dark time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the more to tell is, is that um, we, we have beautiful stories of, of old, of people who have gone before us and certainly maybe haven't experienced a time just like this. Mm-hmm. But I was visiting with my uh, my spouse's side of the family last night, and we were all telling stories of older generation. We're, we're talking about what it was like to raise children during the civil rights movement, mm-hmm. and we were talking about um, family members who were a part of the Holocaust. And and they, these were not stories to to bring ourselves down, but actually to say these are stories of hope. And somebody shared a story about women who. Um, you know, we're underground in, uh, in Germany and during the Holocaust who found ways to bake their matzah for Passover and, um, and smiled while they were doing it. And it was just, there were these beautiful stories of how humans find ways to come out of the darkness. And certainly with the, the strength of, the, of God's spirit with us, I think we hold that as a truth before us and um, we shout it from our windows and bang it from our pots mm-hmm. and pans at night. <laughs> Love that. Scott, what's your more to tell? I, I just want to, uh, I want to mention what has been mentioned by some, but I don't think it's been told enough, which is that while we humans are currently groaning, uh, there's a sense in which Mother Nature and the Earth is breathing in a way that it hasn't, maybe. And we've seen evidence of that. And, we, and so, uh, you know, my prayer and hope is that this story is realized by more and more of us, that we cannot continue to live as if, uh, one, we as human beings are isolated from our natural context, nor that we as societies can be isolated from other societies and act as if borders really matter because they simply do not. And so if we can tell that story again and again, then maybe this moment can be in some fundamental way an opportunity to shift uh, our human consciousness about the very small earth we live on. We've only got one planet, and uh, we need to be taking care of it and uh, discovering that we are part of a larger ecosystem uh, that should live in harmony and given the great pleasure of taking care of God's creation. So thank you so much for that word. Scott Stearman, pastor at Metro Baptist Church, along with Pastor Tiffany Triplett-Hinkle, who's also the executive director at Rauschenbusch Metro Ministers. Ministry. So make certain you uh, check out their church and uh, ministry website. And if you can, uh, New York City can certainly use your help, especially those who are hit the hardest uh, by this pandemic and work stoppage. Uh, Tiffany and Rauschenbusch and Metro are doing wonderful work. So check out their website and give what you can. Both of you, thank you so much. You're an inspiration to us all. God bless. And we will hopefully see you soon. And Scott, next time I see you, I'm going to throw my arms around you and give you a big <laughs> hug. <laughs> All right. Just make sure you have a mask on. 
Uh, right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you.